I also want this to be a lesson to, to everybody that this is how it's done. You stand up together and you fight for what's right. And I think these NBA players have compromised. I think they're just learning their power. And I think in a very short time, they're going to come back with even bigger demands and they're going to keep pushing and they're going to keep winning because they have the power in their industry. Forgotten Corner Podcast would not exist without our listeners. If you enjoy the work we are doing on this show and would like to support further, please consider a donation through our Patreon account, patreon.com backslash forgottencornerpod, or visit our website, forgottencornerpod.com. Welcome back to the Forgotten Corner Podcast. I'm Scott Schmidt here alongside my co-host Jeremy Appel. We have Mo Cranker, our editor and producer, with us today, but he didn't bring his mic, so we're just not even going to say hi to him. So, Jeremy, how are you today? I'm doing very well. You know, I've been staying out of trouble, uh, not getting into uh, any fights on Twitter. You're a liar. (laughs) (laughs) You're a liar. No, I am very well adjusted and... um, We definitely need to do the Jeremy versus Max episode of the forgotten corner like let's just make this like a i don't think right you now. would do it but I'll why it like out. it can be sit like i'll just make sure like you know we'll uh i'll referee it'll be civil max and i get along pretty well you and i get along pretty well this could work we can make it we can make it happen no okay yeah, well, we'll, we'll play it by ear. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay, so anyways, we are doing one of these weeks where we have to record two in one weekend. And to give Mo a little bit of a break, we're going to do a little one of these shorty just us as, a, as we do. But of course, we never want to do that with literally just us. So we did our thing where we invited best friend of the show, Dr. Roberta Lexier, to join us. So she's with us today. Roberta, how are you today? Well, you know, I don't know. Life's pretty exciting, I I guess. Really living the dream, as I keep saying. Um, I don't know. Personally, I'm I'm super fine, but the world. You never know. I got to tell you, like, and this is like, I don't want to, like, I'm not going to make this a big Twitter deal or whatever. So, like, however many people listen to our podcast will listen to this. But I was just at my doctor today to get, like, a prescription refill. And I've had her for a really long time. She's been my sister's family doctor for a really long time. She delivered both of Kelly or Kelly's sons, one of which has graduated high school. So done that for a really long time. She's quitting obstetrics in Medicine Hat. And of the nine doctors who are who do obstetrics in Medicine Hat, apparently seven are considering doing this. Yikes. That's a hearsay, an unofficial, unpossed, like unconfirmed, just hanging out with my doc. But <laughs> just telling you, fucked up, eh? Like, don't have a baby in Medicine Hat. It, maybe don't have a baby in Alberta after a while. Like, it's where are you going to, how are you going to do this? Like, it's, maybe, maybe don't have a baby on Earth. Because- yeah, this is the part I have a hard time with. Like, I appreciate people's choices and everybody has to make their own choices, but I, I don't know. Okay. How do you have kids Okay, right now? we Well, now we, we could, 
we we could do an episode about why you shouldn't have children in this tire fire of a world but unfortunately people have you brought up obstetrics i don't know dude you're the host shouldn't we maybe like we can discuss whether it's a good idea but maybe we should also make sure that it's not like uh you know orderlies catching babies at the at the maternity ward you know sure sure all right anyway this was a (laughs) just the shitty thing that happened anyways that's nothing to do with what we're talking about today but i just thought that was a tidbit of info that i couldn't really make news but i thought i'd make news <laughs> here so anyway um roberta you and i talked about the other day like what should we talk about this weekend um by the it's time it's funny that you out, never asked me well i'm I mean, the only one that matters here come on whatever. no no uh, not 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 a not dig at you roberta i trust her <laughs> I also it, I also trust your judgment more than mine. Does it dig, does just, it dig at me? I, I'm sure, but I, I just thought I just thought it was interesting. No, uh, she just texted me the other day, like, "What should we talk about?" And then she's like, "Do you want to call me and we'll talk about it?" And I was like, "Sure." And then I was like, "Hey, uh, should we be talking about like fiscal updates or something?" Because like Taves and Kenny made that super unsurprising fiscal update the other day and so i was like is that what we should talk about and she's like i guess but not really and then she's like hey you know what we should talk about we should talk about like wildcat strikes and nba players and boycotting playing and that kind of thing i was like that's a pretty fucking good idea so i we thought you'd like that idea do you want to talk about something else we can talk about something else jeremy what do you want to talk about let's talk about my uh petty twitter beeps no, I'm just kidding. Let's let's that, that 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 that's the other podcast. Let's talk about sports and uh, nonviolent protest and uh, the power of the people to control their own labor and um, make decisions to withhold it to promote social change. Awesome. Well put. Now, Roberta, make a statement, an opening statement on the subject that you decided we should talk about this <laughs> well the fiscal update we could talk about but that's no boring. i don't want no i'm serious <laughs> i'm serious I, like I'm, I'm with you i'm not saying we shouldn't talk about I'm this i'm so over sick of talking i was about not that making a case for the fiscal update <laughs> i um, know i know it's all good and also just so you know jeremy the problem is i'm a planner i'm like the most annoying planner scott's been dealing with this for almost 30 years that i'm like the worst i need to know what the plan is and so i was texting him probably like two weeks ago being like what are we talking about in two weeks so that's why yes i know you're you're a jewish woman yes i was laughing because the two of you today both wanted to get (laughs) done and out of the way because you had shit to do or it's nighttime like it's friday night right i want to go to bed i had to work you're like let's so you're both texting me like several times while i'm working like so like how's work going how you coming how's it coming i was like well hey i I promise you if you (laughs) and i I talk less it's it's gonna be a lot less i I texted you once to ask when i should (laughs) yeah but then you but then you well first you texted me how's work going Chadwick Boseman died and I was like what in the fat fuck did you just say to me and so I had to look that up because I was like who the shit knew that Chadwick Boseman was battling colon cancer for four years did you know that no I didn't I don't he he didn't publicize it clearly so sad very sad sad. yeah I mean because he was like what he was like Michael Bricks's age um he's our age 43 years old yeah. literally our oh, age. he's a bit older than michael brooks but yeah. he's your age not yes. he's our age yeah. yeah 
It's so yeah. sad. It's just tragic. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Normally I don't really care when celebrities die, like who cares, but it's really sad. Uh, yeah. Maybe 2020 well, I mean, is just Honestly, sucks. I just think like, it depend. you know, like people dying is sad, right? But yeah. generally I don't put a whole lot more stock into a celebrity over anyone else. But when you hear about somebody that's 43 years old that dies of cancer and they've been battling it for four years and you didn't know about it and but they're a public person you kind of stop and go holy shit and then you realize like fuck he was a good actor and i liked his stories you know like i liked the movies he was in and black panther died that's weird like you kind of figured in all of the time that the marvel universe has been around like eventually like something would bite like they'd have to deal with something like this like a super main character would like you know no longer like cease being alive like this not that this is like the problem here is that marvel doesn't know what to do with <laughs> franchise i'm just saying like it's a pretty they, big, well, they, pretty they, big well, franchise somebody was for, gonna die someone on on twitter which i know you say i should use less um mentioned you're gonna throw that at me all episode long aren't you yeah. you said that off air okay well now now it's on now it's on it's now on it's, we're record. airing our yeah we're airing yeah. our shit yeah that's i right. just care about your well-being man like um okay now um oh yes someone on twitter uh i believe alex hamilton of uh calgary uh mentioned that the studios would have had to know for insurance purposes that he was ill right so yeah he, absolutely like yeah. Th- like they would but it's just you know i don't know it's like when you said he died i had no idea right so i googled it or twitter searched it or something and you expect to find out like i don't know died of covid or fell off a roof or something you know like you don't expect to hear that he had colon cancer for four years so i thought it was a little bit crazy this is like such a super important podcast we're having <laughs> like, you tell, it's like, hey i was just gonna bring it actually right back because i think it actually connects to i think part of why it yes. was hard to hear that today is that black panther is connected to some racial politics, some discussions about how we deal with different uh, colonial histories um, and other sorts of issues. And I think, you know, having a black superhero was a pretty big deal. And we're now in a moment of seeing major racial violence and tension really, you know, every day. And I think maybe in this moment, seeing Black Panther die suddenly and unexpectedly is a bit hard, you know, where, and so it, maybe it does connect. We always have these like random tangents, but I'm, maybe I'm just obsessed with connections, but maybe that's why it hurts so much today. Cause it connects to what we're going to talk about, which is racism and sports. And well, as you were saying but, but, that, but I... it's very like, like black Panther is a movie that was like definitely written by the CIA because <laughs> black Panther, right. Is the good guy. And he's like, wants to open up their economy to the West and Killmonger is a socialist. He's, he's like an African national. I mean, Marvel's pretty good at making the villains pretty fucking likable. Like it's pretty, you know, you're like, shit. Well, I would just say we're getting off topic, but I just want to say in my, like what I like about superhero movies is art or villains, right? Yeah. Like DC, Marvel, whatever, like Joker, Bane, Killmonger, Thanos, those are like my guys. 
those people, those are the most interesting characters in my opinion people always say like dc like marvel's always had like sort of the best heroes dc's always had the best villains that's how i've always looked at it but these all like, right we're totally off what? track now anyway, like okay. i mean i adore superheroes as you know but yeah, as much as i love superheroes want. i also love sports so tr- well, let's talk about sports well and i was gonna say like the chadwick boseman thing is actually um does connect in another way too because you and i were talking about with the nba uh and i guess uh somewhat of baseball and hockey mm-hmm. as well but kind of like coattailing in but the nba players after um jacob blake was shot in the back seven times by police 29 year old black male in what was what's the town called kenosha Kenosha, uh wisconsin right um everybody knows the story these aren't this isn't news um anyway um the started with the milwaukee bucks bear from wisconsin made sense they were like fuck this we're not playing and the other plate teams are like fuck this we're not playing either and the league was like Sounds good. No more games, right? We all know where they're at. And so we wanted to talk today a little bit about um, maybe what, like, we, we, we often talk about how professional sports maybe is like a, like a sign of how shitty capitalism is, like where it's like it's one of these problems that we need to fix. But celebrity in our society is something that means something. You know, and that's why I thought maybe the Chadwick Boseman kind of ties in. Like, why do celebrity deaths matter to you you don't know this fucking person right but you kind of feel like you do sometimes and we admire celebrities in a lot of ways and when nba players as a whole are like take a stand i guess what i was saying to you the other day i thought like is that maybe more powerful or as powerful as like like a general strike can these players do something bigger than what we ever like expected of them to be able to do socially Well, I think, so I want to step back for one second and just talk about sports in general, because I think, you know, a lot of people are often surprised, first of all, that I'm a woman who likes sports. That's always been a fight I've had to have. Um, But also that I'm a socialist who likes sports. Um, And it's, it's a bit of a tricky position because as Scott, you just said, you know, there's a lot of problems with sports. Um, I grew up with sports. My mom in particular was a massive uh, Saskatchewan Rough Rider fan. And then Scott came into our lives and introduced other sports. Um, most particularly for me, I turned into an MLB fan, Toronto Blue Jays in particular. Um, and I struggle with it. Um, first of all, I should say Scott was an asshole and introduced me to sports when every team won something. And now I've lived for 30 years without any that's, winning. That's true. The very first like year we met, the Blue Jays won the World Series and we watched it together and we, we were fucking done for life and they haven't won shit since. Well, and the so. Habs won the World or the Stanley Cup, Stanley that, Cup year. that year. Yeah. Ugh, it was, it's uh, been brutal. I was a Niners fan. They won the Super Bowl the following year. I had a really good early 90s in sports. That's off topic again. I thought that's what sports were supposed to be, is that you win all the time. (laughs) What the hell, you jerk? Um, But I struggle with it all the time because I'm a very political person. You may have all figured this out by now. And it's really hard to to turn off the political brain when watching sports. Um, But I think often we have to that, you know, it's, there's distractions that we need in life for one thing, but also we can enjoy a sport without having to think about the politics all the time. 
That said, politics and sports are such an interesting intersection that happens and I think opens up a lot of conversations. One, as you said, about capitalism and sort of the role of um, celebrity in and these big paying industries that really don't serve a social value in any real sense. I mean, if sports disappeared tomorrow, we'd be sad. I wouldn't have anything to do on a Saturday afternoon, but I'd live and we'd all live, but we pay them millions. I mean, we do. I mean, there are, there are aspects of where I see like, you know, sport bringing people together in a way. And like, sure. the, you know, we could talk Community about how the and... pro like again, right, but like when everybody's cheering for the same team or like people will argue that there's that sense of that, that comes from that. So maybe we should ask Jeremy. He doesn't really like watching organized sports, like a professional basis. He doesn't really have a, like he cheers for Toronto teams. He's from never there, said that. Um, okay. but you don't like watch First, a ton of sports, right? I, I watch it. I'm, I mean, I'm not, one of those people like uh say my dad or brother who like just you know breathes that stuff like like dpvr the games no but okay. i'll watch them when they're on and um i by the way i do not cheer for the toronto maple leafs um, good yeah because like no one likes leafs but um but be like the raptors and the Jays. I, right? I, I do i do think that sports do serve a valuable uh, social function in terms of bringing together, right? You may have friends who you totally disagree with about politics, whatever, have different taste in music then, but you, you know, you can sit together watch a game and, and, you know, if you're cheering for different teams, you can chirp each other a little bit, but it's all, you know, it's all, it's all in good fun. Um, but of course, sports are very, uh, corporate and um, they often can serve in, in my view as a diversion from things that I would suggest matter more like the climate crisis and um, you know black people being murdered by police so I 100% agree with you so that's why I want to ask you if like when you see NBA players doing something like this in the wake of something like this and you see that there's some capability of it actually making a difference. What is, what is like when you saw it, what were your first thoughts when you saw that this boycott was happening? Was it just like, man, these guys are boycotting or do you see this as something that can be a leap, something bigger? No, I think it's, it's obvious that something is happening here, right? Like something, I mean, in, in, I think it's all these things happening at once, right? You have the pandemic, you have, protests for racial justice because cops just keep killing young black and other people of color. Um, and athletes like teachers are, we're essentially forced back to work, right? Because, um, you know, I mean, for athletes, there's different there, right? Like people own teams want to make money. They need advertisers right? All the leagues, right? I mean, the CFL tried to get the government to bail them out, like, what, a billion dollars? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. these yeah, but, leagues but, but, are but, trying to keep going. But, and, and, and so what struck me was, I thought this was great. This is, I mean, you know, you, you heard all this rhetoric about it being a boycott. Well, it's strike. It, and it's a wildcat strike because it's against their contract. But 
the the issue I think is that, and maybe it's not an issue so much as an opportunity, but these multimillionaires are able to withhold their labor and actually um, at least try and affect some short sort of change because they can they can survive without the season continuing, right? Well, they 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 literally are the like the poster like the textbook version of an employee that has the power and understands its power like and that may be like we'll let roberta chime in here quick because because we talked about this a little bit this week right like these guys workers have power but a lot of workers don't know they have power these guys friggin knew they had the power and if the mba like what was the word you said roberta literally irreplaceable right well, that's the thing with, with athletes like this. I mean, we talked about it when we chatted that, you know, they've tried replacement players at various points for various reasons. And it's always a joke. Like people are only going to pay the money to watch the NBA to watch LeBron James. They don't want to watch Roberta Lexier come in and fucking right. try and throw a three pointer. Like this is not how this works. Like these men. I, I would, I I, I just want to say, I just want to say that I would pay to see that. I'm with Jeremy. I would absolutely pay to watch you <laughs> like, fucking shoot what, what are you pointers. talking about? How don't, do we get a league of Robertas? Yeah, don't sell yourself short. Yeah. That's amazing. At some point, we'll have to post a photo of five foot two me <laughs> shooting some sort of the, basketball. The, Roberta, the you, miss, you miss 100% of the shots you don't. The J the J W M B A. Yeah, exactly. Oh God. Um, <laughs> oh my God, that would be so insufferable. Not, There'd not, be like not four people in it. I don't know. So all of this is bad. The point is, you can't replace these people. And I had said these men, and I said that in particular because I also want to highlight that the women's NBA um, actually took much bolder steps in some ways and have gotten much less credit because that's how these things work. Um, but also have started to understand and I think basketball shows us some really interesting things about politics and, and understanding your power as you said Scott I think these basketball players so first of all I think we have to understand the differences between the sports and the demographics uh, that make up those sports because it does have a huge effect on the politics in those areas so you know i'm a huge mlb fan but i despise the politics of mlb they are horrible rob manfred is like a horrible person who just doesn't understand the world anyway that's my little other beef we could have a whole podcast talking about baseball but the politics of mlb are very small c conservative um they tend to try and keep politics out of the game as much as possible they try not to talk about it um the most they'll do is you know today in baseball um which i guess is now a week or two behind whatever was they celebrated jackie robinson day so they do these kind of you know symbolic political gestures but that's it and a large reason for that is that the makeup of MLB is primarily white rural southern Americans and then the minority population is largely Latino who are coming from very different circumstances so baseball has a very particular politics because of the makeup of that sport Colin and I were reading something about Major League Baseball the other day and it was like the story says that like 67 African-Americans in professional baseball. And we were like, that's a fucking typo. 
No, it's not. It's like 8% or something. I might be making up that number. But 8% of the whole league is African-American. And that number's been dropping dramatically over the last few years. So the only minority population are Latino players. And there's a whole controversy about that. I highly encourage you to read a really good article written by Jose Batista um, back during, you know, the great moment in time when the Jays played again for a minute. Um, and he talks about the kind of expectations on Latino players and how they're supposed to play the game. There's a lot of political reality there um, that influences the game in a broader sense. Jeremy, you were going to say something about MLB. I want to talk about the other leagues too. Well, no, I, th this is a good transition to that because that, that seems to me uh, broadly to be the dynamic in almost all of these professional athletic um, organizations where the players are various, you know, people of color or Latinos or black, but the ownership is all white. Right. And so the players often have very, um, you know, progressive, maybe some of them even radical politics, but the owners are all, you know, buddies with Donald Trump and other um, unsavory um figures of white supremacy and so i think that contrast sort of came to a head this past week right where the players are like no we're not you know we're not going to work on maggie's farm no more <laughs> no we don't have any statistics of this in front of us and so i apologize if i'm generalizing and if anybody thinks i'm wrong here please let me know but these these leagues are providing a product. There's a customer for this product, right? The customer drives everything, okay? In the NBA, there is a, I feel like there's a lot broader fan base than like an NFL. I would suggest that the NFL is, has got all the proud boy white guy fans in the United States. Not that there aren't people of color that like football, clearly, right? I'm just saying, just on a generalized basis, I would imagine that a lot of white Americans really like their Friday night lights, right? Like they like their football. And NBA has fan base that is a little bit more cultural, international, a little bit uh, far more urban than, than NFL does. And I like one fucking player goes on his knee, kneels down, and the president it, it, for NFL and the president's like he's a son of a bitch, right? Fire him. Do you hear him saying a fucking word about the Milwaukee Bucks or LeBron James? LeBron James tweeted, fuck this man the other day. Do you think Donald Trump's going to say a goddamn word to LeBron James or about this? And so do you think that maybe it's as simple as like they can push around African-Americans in football because a lot of the, not only like Jeremy said, do they have the billionaire fan owners, white owners? I mean, they have a lot of the white fan base, whereas in, in the NBA, you can't just fucking go out like who's gonna push around the people of color in the nba when the fan base is represented 
representative of that. Does that make I, sense? I think it's part of that. And I think that is a, a, the reality of the situation. I think, you know, the, the fan base has a lot of influence. And I think we do see a difference between football and basketball. But I think more importantly, and I think more importantly, in a bigger context and what will give us a much bigger lesson is actually the makeup of the league itself and the ability of the players to find commonality across difference. So, you know, we always talk on the left about solidarity and collective action and, you know, finding consensus. And these things are really difficult. We all have very divided loyalties, identities, all sorts of different issues. And it, it becomes very difficult to find those things that bring us together. And in fact, most of the world works to try and pull us apart. That's how capitalism is very effective. It's how the authoritarian governments are effective. They're trying to divide us all the time. And I think in basketball, because the player pool is largely made up of a one group. I mean, I don't have the stats of what the actual numbers are, but the vast majority of NBA players are African-Americans for all sorts of reasons. We could do a whole other podcast on, but the vast well, a majority, I think it's a lot more international. Yeah, than fair, but that. they, in proportion to their population, they sure. are way out of proportion in basketball than in other sports. And I think, because many of them, not all, are coming from similar circumstances um, and facing these kind of billionaire owners trying to force them into the smallest contracts and all those things, when they're the face of the product, they're finding ways to create a common link. And these racial, pro these protests against racial violence in the U.S. have for now, I'd say about five or so years started this process of building a coalition within the NBA. So, um, you know, when Michael Brown was killed in Ferguson, um, uh, some of the players started wearing shirts to, to honor him. Um, when Eric Garner was killed, uh, the players would um, take a moment of silence. Um, you know, they were wearing shirts in honor of people. They were starting to kind of build this, this kind of sense of their own politics. But they're athletes, right? They're told all the time, shut up and dribble. Like, nobody wants to hear your opinion. You're just celebrities. Like, shut up and do your job. But they're living in a world where they're facing these same issues in their lives, despite their ability to reach the top level of their industry and to make millions of dollars. They're still facing the threat of getting shot in the street or getting pulled over by a police officer. It's still their communities that are being destroyed, even though they managed to find a way to the top of their their industry and so i think this has been building for some time and given the makeup the demographic makeup of both the fans and the the player pool i think it started to build a, a movement within within that organization within the especially the players association of the the nba i sort of want to talk about the role of the players associations because in some ways for my you know sort of very basic understanding. They are unions, but I mean, most union members don't make the amount of money that athletes make, right? Correct. And so to, to <laughs> Sorry, sort of, that just made me snort laugh because like, 
Yeah. And by most, I mean all. All, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But to, so like to what extent do athletes have a luxury that's, I mean, I'm not a working person, I have a real job, but mm-hmm. um, you know, to what extent do they have more power? I mean, th- like they have a lot more power over their ability to withhold their labor than say Scott at the Medicine Hat News. Um, and so sort of what, what, what can union members learn from that, right? Because it's a very different experience. And to be going every day to a job, and I'm not saying this about Scott in particular, but most, you know, working people in general go every day to a job that you hate, where you're treated like absolute shit, and um, it's just like, all right, well, cer- well, certainly we, a lot we can replace you, right? And I think you alluded to that earlier, Roberta, but I, I, I'm just wondering if you can maybe go into more detail on that contrast and how, um, you know, working people more broadly can learn from that, mm-hmm. what they can learn from that. So the material reality is that NBA players, the vast majority are multi-multi-millionaires. I don't know what their league minimum is. I know in baseball, the league minimum is $500,000 a year. So even if you're like the first year player, you're making half a mil. I don't know what it is in the NBA. I'm guessing higher because in general, they get paid more than baseball players. But regardless, my point here is just even the worst NBA player is making a hell of a lot more money than the vast majority of us. And it's hard to have any sympathy or empathy, I think, for people making millions of dollars. I think we do need to keep in mind that their bosses, however, are billions of dollars. So it's millionaires fighting against billionaires in many cases. So, you know, whatever, who cares? But the, the material reality, I think, is important. If I had millions of dollars in my bank account, I could stop working, no problem, and, you know, put my career on the line. But if I'm living paycheck to paycheck, it may not seem as much of an opportunity. That said, I think all workers have a similar level of power when they can use that power collectively to put pressure on their employers in whatever way best puts pressure on those employers. And every industry is going to be different. So every strike is going to look different. And I think I want to mention before I say too much more about that, I want to say something about this idea of the strike, because this is important that this isn't a boycott in the sense that a boycott is withdrawing your money from purchasing something to protest it. It's also not a legal strike because the only time you're legally allowed to strike is at the end of a contract when you're in the midst of negotiations and you've tried all possibilities to settle a contract and they are not in that position. Their contract is up for negotiation soon. So that'll be interesting when that happens. But so this is a strike. They are withdrawing their labor and they are refusing to participate in their labor in producing their labor. Now, in their case, they're millionaires who go and dribble a ball on a court for a couple of hours and their bosses make billions of dollars on top of that. But they're not that different from any other workers in many ways. Um, You know, Walmart workers who go and make minimum wage stocking shelves and, and, you know, running the, the business, their bosses are also making billions 
they're not making the millions in the middle there. So there's a whole other issue going on there. But if they withdrew their labor in the same way, if they walked off the floor, just like the NBA players walked off the floor, they would have that power. The difference I think is, is that they, NBA players have millions of dollars in the bank. It gives them some security and LeBron James is a famous person who can tweet something and people listen. But the more important point of all of this is the solidarity that's required to make it happen. Because if the Milwaukee Bucks had said, we're not playing, and their opponents said, well, fuck you, this is the playoffs, we'll take that forfeit, we're going to win that game. And guess what? We might go on to win this whole thing because you forfeited. They could easily do that. This is their career. Who doesn't dream of winning the NBA title? Like, that's what these guys have been prepping for their whole lives. But they said, no, we're going to respect our colleagues, and we're going to respect the position that they're taking, and we're going to not play either. That's the important part of this whole thing, is that moment of solidarity where they say, we're doing this together. And if every Walmart worker did that, they'd have the same power. It's just a lot different circumstances their power doesn't come from how much money they make it's nothing to do with their security they fucking love money they don't give a fuck if they have 20 million bucks of the bank they're not gonna be like well i don't care if i make two million there's nothing to do with money they know they have they know that their product they, they provide the product that they that their bosses need like they literally are the product so like that's the that's the unique aspect of it, right? Well, and I like, think I think capital has spent a lot of time trying to convince us all that we're replaceable. You know, NBA players are clearly not replaceable. I am not replacing LeBron James. Like it's just not happening. But I, I what I want to say there is that yes, NBA players are irreplaceable, but even though people have tried to convince you as a worker that you're replaceable, you're not either. There's actually a whole system that has to operate. And if you walked away from that, it all falls apart. Teachers are a really good example of this. If, you, if they walked out of their classrooms, they're irreplaceable. I'm sorry, but nobody is replacing those skilled trained teachers by august 31st they might that's try paddling. remember paddling this. the school yeah. can you, that's a, you better believe that's a paddling yeah no the best part of that is when uh he jasper uh gets his beard caught in the uh pencil uh sharpener i don't think those types so of good a little, little bit further a little bit further a little bit further he calls grandpa simpson but this is exactly that's my whole fucking point roberta like it has nothing to do with their money it has to do with what they are able to provide you cannot replace them they are the product they get this okay and so this is why yes it's a great example for um it's a, it's a fantastic example of workers power and other workers could really learn from this and solidarity, all of these things. What I want to ask before we wrap up, because we definitely have to wrap up and let Jeremy get to the comedy show. We have to, I want to ask you like, just as this particular incident, how, how much power do you like, how, like how much ability to affect change do you actually see the NBA players having? Cause I actually think, that professional athletes have like a very unique opportunity at this juncture to affect change um, 
by doing stuff like this it's more than just like their bosses are going like it this is big like it's a big deal it's a bazillion dollar business these guys like fans want it owners want it they are their celebrity they have the voice like i want to know if they have the ability to actually do something with this power like socially change so two qualifiers first the first one is is that they already sort of settled in a way and gave up a little bit of their revolutionary power in the sense that they said they'd go back to work on Saturday the 28th um, in exchange for three main um, changes and they all relate to the 2020 election so like opening the each arena is gonna be a socially distanced um, voting place polling booth um, a couple of other things they have to encourage voting and participation all of these are kind of minor uh, reforms in a way. And so today everybody went a little bit crazy of, well, they've given up their revolution. It's all over. What was the point of all of that? And the second, I want to come back to that. The second qualifier I wanted to make is that I'm not a believer in a vanguard or the belief that a celebrity group will save us. I think the reality is it's going to take all of us fighting together. But I'm just saying that as a qualification to my answer, which is this is huge in a lot of ways. These players have the ability to influence a political class in the United States that has a lot of control right now. The people, the owners that they're influencing are not just random billionaires. These are people very connected to the political system in the United States. And if they see their, they all they care about is money. We've talked about this before. Profits are king. Everybody wants money. If they see their profits threatened by politics, they will push for change. And so these big owners who are multi-billionaire, or maybe not multi-billionaires, whatever, they have a lot of money. Somebody's going to come back and be like, that guy only has a few hundred million dollars. Not the point. They're all very rich. They all have a lot of influence. And also, NBA players themselves have a lot of influence over popular culture. They are very big celebrities. LeBron James in particular can basically start a whole school system by himself. He just did it. It's a bit of a problem in that they're <laughs> charter schools yeah, and I private. Was gonna say, uh, we don't endorse that. I don't endorse the style of education that he's put in place. So maybe let's talk it's about big... charter schools. <laughs> <laughs> let's not. Go back to last week's episode. Listen to Barb Silva. She's got a great stuff on that one. That, but, that one was for Mo. <laughs> I don't think he's as computer right now. What? Let's talk about the rhetoric <laughs> that is charter schools. No, um, <laughs> but like it's not an example. Of, like we're, it's not about what kind of education. It's an example yeah, he of the wants type to make of change. influence and power that LeBron James has. Like Colin, like, and there's a very big difference between the NBA and the NFL here. This is what I find interesting, right? Because the NFL players they the these white billionaires that include the president feel like they can push these guys around they yeah, can, and they, they did can, they can they say got very, colin kaepernick fired right they can say racial awful shit they can push them around 
they can't do this to the NBA players. They don't have a fucking leg to stand on when it comes to pushing up against LeBron James. And so there's something to do with the difference between the two leagues and that we've talked about that. But there's also something about having your main star that stands up, right? Well, I think that is part of it is Colin Kaepernick was not the number one player. You know, if like, I mean, he's a great quarterback, but if Tom Brady took a knee in protest of some stupid garbage that Tom Brady would protest, people not might- being able to wear Ugg boots. Yeah, there you go. He, he got banned from his Ugg boots, so he had to protest. People might pay attention in a different way. I mean, LeBron James has a status that is particular, but- there's more than just, it took more than just LeBron James. I mean, he, he stood by himself for a long time, but he also built and they built together a group willing to stand up. And, and that's what it takes is people willing to put themselves on the line. Now, again, we've said these guys, they're going to be just fine. They're not going to lose their houses or, you know, go into bankruptcy for their medical bills if they get fired because they went on strike. They're just fine. It's harder for others to do the same. But I also want this to be a lesson to, to everybody that this is how it's done. You stand up together and you fight for what's right. And I think these NBA players have compromised. I think they're just learning their power. And I think in a very short time, they're going to come back with even bigger demands and they're going to keep pushing and they're going to keep winning because they have the power in their industry. I 100% agree. Jeremy, final thoughts before we wrap up today? Tired of the people. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, as is often the case when Roberta speaks, um, she, she covers it, it pretty good. Yeah. She <laughs> puts it better than uh, I ever could. Um, but yeah, I mean, solidarity. Um, I mean, but how much thought, how, like, are you behind these guys? Like, uh, like, not like, do you, do you see them? Like, do you, do you, are you sort of like, hey, maybe this is an opportunity? Like, how do you view this as like, is it just like they, they have some power? Well, but okay. Well, I don't think LeBron James is a working class hero, but I don't think anyone here is suggesting that. <laughs> no. But I do think he has a lot of clout. Right. And, you know, a lot of people, as you know, Scott, um, they like clout, right? They like, they, they listen to people who have clout and are, influenced by them for for better or for worse right like that's just the reality and so yeah when celebrities speak out on a specific issue or in this case go further and withdraw their labor even if it's only temporary um it does have an impact on if not changing material conditions at very least changing the culture and um you know to to be a little gramsci in here um you got to change the culture in Absolutely. order to change the economic system. And well, and we've created this celebrity cult, right? Like our society is oriented around the worship of the mighty dollar and the mighty celebrity. And so if that's the world we live in, let's use it. Let's awesome. The if these celebrities spin. are going to fucking withdraw their power or withdraw their labor and see what the shit goes down. I'm all for it. I mean, if they're going to join the right fight, like let's fucking take it for a spin a little bit. Right. See uh, but then after, it. after we are taking their money, we well, literally just course. said, we did say that the other day. You're like, I would, 
I mean, I'm all for like changing the way we do pro sports in every way where like it just stops produce like churning that kind of money tomorrow. But while we got them, you know, while we have like their celebrity status and they're like them fighting the right fight, let's fucking see what they can do here because. Yeah, like, Nothing's let's be real, gonna... not one of us is saying any of these guys deserve the millions and billions of dollars they're making. Like, well, no, under not the, the point, but let's let's um, clue into this moment and, and use it to the benefit of all of us. And I mean, their owners make the kind of money that they're making. They don't not deserve it either. We're just saying Absolutely. the system fucking sucks. We're obviously where. Anyways, Jeremy's got to go last. So. <laughs> Fucking, or not he's just I, I can't tell if he was doing the wrap-up sign or waving us home from third just, uh, <laughs> sports analogies we might as well end on this well score. isn't that the same thing totally totally okay we're fucking right. done thank All right, you for so. joining us as always roberta um always a treat to uh talk to you and hear your insights on a wide array of subjects so uh thanks and uh talk to you again soon Thanks for having me and uh, go Jays. There's like 20 games left or some stupid shit. So 30 exactly. Ooh. Oh, sweet. They are, they played and 30. Scott, I will never stop posting. So yeah. No, nah, you can post all you, <laughs> man, you can <laughs> post all you want, but I, I don't know if I can ever stop worrying about you anyway. All right. To our pa- Love you guys. You <laughs> are my medicine hat dad. You're fucking right. So just take it. You don't have to like it all the time. You can go and, away and. and- you can and go and bitch to your friends about it after, be like "fucking Schmidt," but you're gonna t- you're gonna hear it. You're gonna hear and, and, it. And Roberta is my cool aunt in Calgary. Aw, uh, thanks. I like being the cool aunt. And, and of course, Kelly's my cool aunt. And why are you snubbing that. Mo right now? And, He's and, like, oh, "Fuck, no, this is bullshit." I'm about to get there. Mo is my dear brother in Medicine Hat, my little brother, um, who drives me insane, but and never misses a leg day. <laughs> but i love him and i uh don't know what i'd do without him all right i gotta thank the patrons to get out of here so anyways all right <laughs> to, to our to to our patrons that allow us to say their names and go above and beyond all the things that we could ever ask from our patron chris derwold big red machine you guys are the fucking bomb we love what you guys bring we love your support we totally appreciate it. to our other patrons extremely appreciate it you guys are uh we, we couldn't be more uh, happy to have you on board to our listeners thanks for coming we'll see you guys next week and uh i don't know what order we're running these things in so i won't say who's on next week but uh we'll see you guys next week take care bye bye bye